and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and the best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core and that's why every single week I bring a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. I'm so careful about putting things into my body these days, and this is the only CBD company I've come to trust with my wellness. They are organically farmed, gluten-free, and have absolutely zero THC in their products. It's just a clean CBD to help you ditch your stress, sleep better, and soothe anxiety. My absolute favorite product of theirs is the orange cream gummies. They also have raspberry and strawberry, which are really good. And after about two weeks of having one gummy every single evening with CBD in it to treat my little sweet tooth with a dessert, I can't help but notice that my sleep has drastically improved every single night. I actually wear a ring to measure my sleep and it's just undeniable what these little gummy friends have done for me. And without THC, you're just getting the calming effects of the CBD plant, none of the high, which is why they are so safe to take. They each come in 10 milligrams or 25 milligram doses of CBD to calm you down from the day in the sweetest and tastiest of ways. And the best thing about them is that they don't taste at all like CBD. I once tried another CBD gummy bear from another company and it was like, whoa, it tasted like I was eating a skunk wrapped in marijuana and sugar. So anyway... I've come to love these little gummies from Soul CBD, and as a way to love myself, to use whatever resources exist in the world that help me be more well as a human, these are so one of them. So our friends at Soul CBD have given us a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystahl.com slash soul. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L dot com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the U-Turn code at checkout. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. Now let's get in to this week's episode. You know, having mold exposure definitely messes up the microbiome of the gut. And I think that that could be one of the reasons why so many different things can produce the same result. Uh, it, it make mold is very tricky because it's so much like other things, right? I mean, think about it. You start getting, uh, you start feeling sick. I mean, these days, anyone starts feeling sick, they immediately think, oh, it's COVID, right? So you could, you could have mold exposure, think it's COVID. You could have mold exposure, think it's just allergies, right? Could be mold, sure. But we've never really been programmed as a society to think that mold is a problem. And so we've never really looked there. going on U-Turn friends. I'm so excited to shake things up on the U-Turn podcast today and bring someone unexpected onto the show. I wanted to bring Mike Rubino on because he is an expert on mold contamination and remediation. Uh, if you're anything like me, you've heard the word mold and how we should stay away from it. But there's not a lot of information out there. He just wrote the book Mold Medic, which I'm so excited is out there. And today we're going to talk about mold-related illnesses, how to recover from them, where mold exists, Mold 101. So get your notepad out. And Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, I, I have to ask, you know, what got you into mold? Wow. It's such a great question, you know, cause normally people don't wake up one day and say, I want to be a yeah. mold expert, right? It's like, I want to be a movie star or something like that. Um, no, so my, I've been around construction my entire life since I'm five years old. My dad was a general contractor. So being around construction really helped understand how buildings are made and things like that and, and what to look for and what, what not to look for and things like, you know, just, Understanding construction in general really provided the background to to kind of where I got to today. Um, my dad was was primarily in, involved in fire restoration, and you know what happens when you have a fire: the uh, fireman comes and sprays your house with water. 
And so you have the water puts out the fire, but then it also creates a condition where mold can grow. So mold is usually a, a part of a lot of fire claims. And when I used to, you know, work with him on summers and weekends and things like that. And then I, after college worked with him again, um, I decided to come up and, and work for him full time. Cause I just figured, you know what, um, I was always very interested in the construction field in general. And as I started getting more and more into it and going to these homes and watching the insurance companies come in and say, Oh, well, you know, mold's really not that big of a deal. You can throw some bleach on it, paint over it, you know, just rip it out. It's, it's not a problem. Yeah. I started to kind of look at that and say, I don't, I don't, that doesn't sound right. You know, and I'm not, I'm not an expert at that point at any means, but it just doesn't sound right. And uh, then Hurricane Sandy hit, and because uh, I was, I'm from the Northeast, just to give you that background really quick. Hurricane Sandy, if you don't know, was this big uh, superstorm that had really decimated the Northeast, New Jersey, New York, uh, parts of Connecticut, Pennsylvania, et cetera. And um, that's when I really started to see people get sick because it, it just impacted so many people at once. It was hard to kind of turn away from that. And uh, especially when you have that big storm, you have like these kind of these fly by night contractors that come in and they start just remediating homes as quickly as possible. Uh, you know, just looking to get paid from insurance companies in and out. They're not really doing it with the level of, of care that needs to be done. And so mold starts to grow and it becomes uh, hidden, hidden and, and uh, you know, unaware of it. And you can move back into your home thinking your home is restored and then start to get sick. And that's what we started seeing happening. And so I, I, I started to veer away from the construction aspect and start to dive into the mold remediation aspect. I really want to understand, you know, what it, why, why these big national companies aren't doing things properly, why people are still getting sick even after they've had remediation done. Um, frankly, I'd walk into some people's homes and it looks immaculate. You would never think it had mold. And, uh, you know, people are complaining of, of having mold exposure. You know, uh, their doctor's telling them, they have mold. And so they're looking for, you know, guidance and understanding. And that's where I, where, where I really started to get fascinated. And quite frankly, I became obsessed with uh, solving this problem. Mm. Okay. So I have a lot of questions. Like <laughs> first thing, um, you know, I know that we've heard about mold being in homes. And for me, my first apartment, when I got my first job was in Santa Monica and it was in a really old building and it was by the okay. ocean. And when you walked in, it just smelled kind of wet in the building. Okay. And my mom would come in and say like, Oh, it smells moldy in here. And I lived in that building for five years. And what I'm curious about is, you know, why aren't property owners taking more responsibility? And is it that simple that you can just smell mold when you walk in somewhere sometimes? Well, yes, um, I think it is that simple. If you have a musty odor, it's usually indicative of water intrusion. Mm -hmm. And when you have water intrusion, especially when it's active, you're likely, very likely to have mold. I mean, mold can grow in as quickly as 24 to 48 hours. So that is probably a mind-blowing statistic. It doesn't need, you don't need to have a leak for, you know, months for mold to start to grow. Mm -hmm. So when you have that musty odor, yes, you should definitely, uh, that should be one of the indicators that something needs to be done. Get someone uh, who's, you know, licensed or certified in mold inspections to come out and do an inspection to help identify how, how widespread it is and what needs to be done to solve it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, why do, why do landlords not maintain their properties? It's, it's, a very good question. I think, unfortunately, a lot of uh, people are just uneducated in how to even maintain a property. Mm -hmm. You know, when you buy a home, you don't get this playbook that says, uh, welcome to the life of owning a home. And here are the things you need to look out for. Here are the things that you need to maintain. So a lot of these, a lot of these folks, they just don't know any better. Uh, no one's ever told them they should be inspecting their exterior or their roofing annually. Um, you know, cleaning their HVAC system and, and tuning them up annually, um, you know, things that what to look for outside that could prevent water intrusion, um, things like that. We just don't have that, that real knowledge. It's, it's something that I think, honestly, insurance companies and even real estate companies could probably help out with um, by educating their clients when they, when they first buy a home. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, is it possible like in my situation where I could smell mold in the lobby that 
it would be fine to live a few floors up because I think a lot of people, especially who live by the beach, maybe they smell like some water damage or something. Um, same situation. Or is it that like, if the lobby has mold, the whole building is moldy. Well, if the lobby has mold, then let's say that would tell you that there's a source somewhere in the lobby. It could be a pretty massive source. Uh, for instance, I've taken down wallpaper where you, again, you would never suspect there was mold there. You take down the wallpaper and you find, I mean, just massive amounts of mold spread throughout the entire room. So I don't know exactly what's going on in the lobby, but if there's a musty odor smell, obviously we know there's water intrusion somewhere uh-huh. that's likely producing mold. Okay. And then, oh, go ahead. No. So when, when those, when, so this, to explain that, I have to kind of give you a little bit of a, of a background here. So mold is a lot like a weed. And, and here's why mold has roots that grow physically into the building material, just like weeds have roots that grow into the soil. And just like weeds, they produce spores, just like weeds produce seeds. Those spores slash seeds they get aerosolized. As soon as they find a spot of moisture, they can start to grow and colonize into more mold. That's kind of like when you have one weed in your, you know, in, in your front yard, it, it turns into 20, 30 weeds very quickly. It's the same exact concept. So just like weeds, if you just cut it at the stem, guess what happens? The weed grows right back. Mold is very similar. If you just try to wipe it away, it's just going to come right back because the roots are still planted inside the building material. You have to physically remove building materials. Why that's an important story to tell you is because if there's mold growing in the lobby, it's constantly producing these spores, right? These seeds, and they start to, to, to spread around the building. That's why it's really hard if someone is sensitive to mold and they're very aware of that. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for them to live in a building and not be impacted by other people in the building that could potentially, uh, you know, have mold or not maintain their, their property properly and could get mold. Mm, Okay. Super interesting. And, um, I, I wonder like why, I mean, is there any standards around the government? Like I'm guessing that they say to apartment building owners, like you're not allowed to have mold in some legal terms or another, but what are the regulations just so that everybody can understand? Because it feels kind of invasive to know that you can rent an apartment somewhere and it could be moldy and nothing's getting done and you're getting sick. And I want to ask you a lot more about the sickness and stuff like that. Yeah. See, this is where, um, this is where things get tricky because it's really, it's really a state by state thing. Each state has their own regulations. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these state regulations, as you can guess, are really more geared towards helping the landlord hmm. than they are the actual occupant. I don't know if that surprises you or not. Some of you may listening may not be surprised by that. But essentially, a lot of a lot of states will allow the building owner to remediate themselves or or have their super remediate who is not required to have any mold training. And that means that they could remediate and make the problem worse. Uh, because what happens is, as we talked about those seeds, as you open up a wall that has mold growing in it, you're likely to remove, release hundreds of thousands, if not millions of those spores into the air at once. And so if you're doing it without proper engineering controls, or you just simply don't know what you're doing in terms of remediation, you could potentially make a problem a lot worse than what it was. So it's it's very it's very risky, in my opinion, uh, and I and I really can't figure out for the life of me why any government regulation would allow a landlord to do their own work without the need to hire a professional. Okay. And I want to ask a little bit about like a, how you can get it because I, I per- personally was recently diagnosed with Lyme disease and mm. I'm having to do the whole thing with my health lately where I'm, you know, just trying to get my body back into homeostasis, trying to remove anything that my immune system is fighting that is not Lyme so that I can win against the Lyme. And mold has become a topic with my doctor. And I just got a 24-hour urine test where I had to pee in a very glamorous (laughs) urine jar for a day and bring it around with me like my blankie. (laughs) You know, (laughs) kind of felt like what was those things in the 90s, the Tamagotchis? I felt like my little urine jar was like a Tamagotchi. Anyway, I did that for 24 hours. (laughs) I I came back positive for two different types of mold. 
and um, they were relating to food. And so I wanted to educate everyone, not just on, you know, if you walk into a building and there's mold or there's mold in your house, which I have more questions about, but can you tell everyone a little bit about having mold in your food? Because I've been only drinking one type of coffee. It's called purity, which I'm sure you know well. I do know. Yep. Yeah. And um, and by the way, guys, if you're listening, they gave us a really cool promo code. It's just my name, Ashley, for 20% off your first order. Um, but yeah, so I've been using them because I know that coffee is a huge source of mold. But can we sure. talk a little bit about how you can experience mold beyond just your living environment? What foods are common that have mold? Yeah. So, you know, pretty much you have grains that uh, can have mold contamination. Uh, you have coffee is a big one. They're stored in usually uh, very wet, humid conditions. Um, and that the, the biggest concern with mold exposure in food is not just the mold itself, it's mycotoxins. Have you heard of mycotoxins? I've heard the term, but I would love a definition. <laughs> okay. So myco, M-Y-C-O, toxin. Myco stands for of fungus. Toxins we all know are, are, are any substance that's toxic to the body. Um, the mycotoxins are produced by certain species of mold and they act as like a chemical residue. So they bond to surfaces. So with your food, you're, you know, literally adding toxins to your food, which is not great, but as well as if you have mold exposure in the home, you could be potentially adding mycotoxins to the air you're breathing, to the surfaces that you're touching that could enter, you know, the largest organ that we have, which is the skin. So it's, it's, it's very complex when you're trying to detox from mold, you have to not only be concerned about what, what you're breathing, but what you're eating and consuming as well. And so, you know, coffee, uh, grains, corn, um, chocolate, breads, chocolate, even. Yeah. Cause the cow, cow, you know, it, it could, it could all contain mold. And so you have to really do your research. There's companies like purity that you mentioned that specifically test their ingredients before they use them for mold exposure, which is amazing. And when you're, when you're concerned about mold, that's definitely something you want to be aware of, which foods are, are, you know, prone to have molds and then which companies that manufacture those foods actually do testing for that, uh, before you, you know, put that on your list to okay for consumption. Okay. So then obviously I have to ask you, um, first about chocolate. Like, is there a brand that you trust? Cause I know purity coffee has become the only coffee I drink and, um, also corn. Like, are there any brands where you feel confident that we're not eating mold? And I know peanuts are another huge source of mold. Peanuts are another huge source. Yeah. You know, it's to answer your question simply. No, I don't. Um, there, I do know, obviously, purity. I do know bulletproof tests. Um, I, I think that there's, for certain foods, it's best to just stay away from. Mm. There's not a lot of companies that are actively aware of this stuff. I mean, you know, when I, when I first heard Dave Asprey mention the word mycotoxin and coffee in the same sentence, my jaw dropped to the floor because it was like, wow, there's a company out there that's consciously aware of mold exposure and is making a concerted effort to test for that purpose before they sell it, the product to consumers. Amazing. Because, you know, I come from this background where, you know, basically mold was this, not this big deal, right? Um, the history of mold is kind of convoluted, but essentially we had the first real signs of people coming out and saying mold exposure was bad to the health was really in the late eighties, early nineties, and after that, you had a ton of lawsuits that ensued due to mold exposure. And then all of a sudden, in 2001, the CDC comes out and says, you know, mold's really not that bad, except for people who are, you know, prone to having a mold allergy. Mm -hmm. And then all the lawsuits kind of stopped and people started to move away from it and stop paying attention to it. And then all of a sudden, here we are 20 years later. And we're seeing, you know, things going in the wrong direction. And, uh, you know, a company like Bulletproof to come out and, uh, you know, really bring that into the mainstream market for me was exciting because the reality of it is I see so many people every single day having really bad symptoms due to mold exposure. They're not feeling well in their own homes. And it's like heart wrenching to me to see 
them go from doctor to doctor, professional to professional, and, you know, basically just be told that they're crazy, that, that this isn't, doesn't really exist. You know, to see stuff like that happening here in America, it just, it just makes me uh, really feel for them, you know, because I've, it can't be the fluke, right? I've seen so many people, especially people who have uh, Lyme disease, right? I mean, your, your body's already fighting something like Lyme to have mold exposure added to it. It just completely overloads your immune system. Yeah. You know, and when, when I see these things firsthand, I can't ignore it, you know? So it really, it's where we are today. You know, we're kind of like 20 years into the process of just, just to give you guys an example of where I'm going with this, the uh, cigarette and tobacco industry, it took them 50 years to realize that smoking cigarettes probably wasn't great for our health. 50 years. We're probably 20 years into that mold process right now of that 50. We still have another 30 years to go. It's sickening, but it's probably true. Wow. Okay. I have so many questions. First question is really silly, but if somebody spills water on their floor, or I know there's a lot of kind of like fake wood, like the vinyl wood floors, um, is it literally a matter of 24 hours until mold is growing right beneath that? Or even the shower floods over into the floor in the bathroom? Um, what's the reality of that kind of situation? Cause I know every single day, all of us are kind of washing our hand and some water drips onto the floor or, you know, our, our bathtub over splashes and gets on the ground, like just a little information on kind of what is yeah, the reality yeah. of mold with that? Not much of a reality with mold with that regard, because if you splash some water on the floor, odds are that that splash is going to dry within 24 hours. It's if your house floods out and you're, you know, you have two to three inches of water, you're, you're likely to stay wet for longer than 24 to 48 hours. At that point, you're in the danger zone of mold growing. So, you know, uh, speed is, is key to preventing mold growth. If you find, you know, a, a puddle on the floor for whatever reason, you know, one of your kids spilled a glass of water, as long as you clean it up, you're okay. You know, it's going to dry. It's, uh, if you don't clean it up and let that puddle sit for, a day or two, you're, you're really taking a big risk and you might start to see the wood cupping. You might start to see some staining occur, you know, so you, you really want to, if you do your best to really just minimize impact with water, you're going to remove the opportunity for mold to grow. And that's why when I'm on a remediation project, it's not just about removing mold. It's about looking at what the conditions are that allowed mold to grow in the first place. Maybe there's too much humidity in the home. Maybe there was a roof leak, right? All of those, those conditions that allow the opportunity for mold to grow need to be repaired. And that's got to be part of the plan. You know, the days of just coming in and ripping it out and, and getting paid and moving on to the next house, those days need to be over. You know, otherwise we're going to cre- keep creating problems and think about it. If we don't clean up each problem as it comes to us, what happens? You know, that person doesn't clean it up properly. Then they sell their home to somebody else who comes in. They don't know what, what the history of the home is. They think it's all good. They got a home inspection done. They move in, they start getting sick. That happens to so many of my clients that it's it's really frustrating because we're not doing a good job on the front end Mm. and it's affecting people on the back end. Is there any way that we can make sure we hire a mold inspector that can actually pick up on it? Or are there certain things that people need to do in their home beyond the scope of a basic home inspection for mold? Yeah, no, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Good job. No, so that's a, that's a really amazing question. You know, I, I think that just to give you some perspective, when you become a home inspector, there's like 200 pages that you need to study and, and pass a test on. Only one or two pages of that is dedicated to mold. So to give you some perspective, a home inspector is really not, unless they are a home inspector that does mold inspections and they're licensed as a mold inspector as well, they're really not there to, to just look at mold. And I've seen some really good inspectors that weren't mold professionals, but said, hey, you should hire a mold inspector. I've, I see some problems here. And that's amazing. But a lot of them don't. They just go through it again, stole from that society of mold's not that big of a deal. And they miss stuff. And then you move in and you have these problems. I think if you're buying a home, you absolutely should do a home inspection because there's other things outside of mold you want to be concerned about. But you also want to do a mold inspection because I think you want to make sure the air quality is going to be good. And how do you find a good mold inspector? I think you want to ask them one question. How long do you expect this to take? 
And because if, if somebody says that, you know, oh, I'll be in and out in 20, 30 minutes, they're probably not the mold inspector for you. A mold inspection should really be like a home inspection, which should take multiple hours to really go through everything like a fine tooth comb, finding all the potential pitfalls where there could be water intrusion, and then recommending when they find those areas to test them to validate if there is or is not mold present. That's really what's going to be a good mold inspection that you can then take and say, okay, I know what I have to do to remove that mold now mm-hmm. if you choose to move forward. Okay. Really helpful. Okay. So kind of going back to the foods for everybody who's taking notes. I know I see you guys. I know you're taking the notes. <laughs> um, okay. So for, as far as food goes, um, peanuts, you know, chocolate because of the cacao, you know, whatever it's called. I'm having a brain moment right now, the cacao and then also corn avocados. So can you tell me a little bit about why avocados? I mean, is there a way for us to dodge it when we're at the store and look at the avocado and think like this one doesn't have mold? Um, is there any way to sidestep the foods that might have mold? Yeah, I think, you know, with fruit, it's going to come down to the ripeness. I mean, I would try to buy fruit when it's not quite as ripe because mm-hmm. the riper it gets, you know, obviously fruit has a water content to it. Mm-hmm. But so the, the riper it gets, the more it sits out, the more likely it is to have some mold contamination. So I would say with all, with fruits and things like that, try to get them a little less ripe, you know, and uh, have it ripen right in, in your home. I think that would be probably a better outlook for that. Okay. Really helpful. And then I want to talk, and by the way, with avocados, is it kind of looking like kind of like, um, losing its form, you know, and, and having like brown in it, is that literal mold? Yeah. It, it, I mean, some of that discoloration, just the normal process of it ripening. I don't think it's necessarily all has to be mold, but it it can be right. If it sits out for too long with the water content, if you already have mold in your place, then it's more, that's more likely to affect it as well. So I'd say just, just to be on the side of caution, you know, definitely if you, when you touch it, if it's like already mushy, mm-hmm. um, I would say that's probably not the uh, the avocado you want to purchase. Okay. That's so funny because I always look for the ones that are slightly mushy because I'm like, perfect. It's ready for guacamole. And, you know, everybody forgive me for all my avocado questions. <laughs> like avocados are still listed as something I can eat in my diet. And so it's like the ray of light in my Lyme protocol healing. Um, okay. So I have an honest question about mold, which is how many people do you think have it? Like my sense is maybe everyone has some level of mold. Like, do you have any projection on what percent of the population has mold in their body? Kind of like we detected in my urine. Ooh, wow. Um, if I had to guess, it'd probably be somewhere around the 40 to 50% range. Oh, wow. Not as much as I thought. And is there an easy test online that people can do kind of like 23andMe vibes where it's just kind of an easy find out if you have this problem kind of thing? Yeah, it's like the IgG and the IgE testing. I, I think you can probably go to like any of the lab cores um, or uh, what's the other one? Uh, Quest mm-hmm. to, to schedule that. Or, you know, if you if you Google mold literate doctor, you know, that that may be helpful just because once you know you have mold in your body, you also maybe maybe wise to have someone that can tell you what to do about it. Um, so having a mold literate doctor that uh, you know on your uh, on standby to review the results with you may be helpful. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our really good friends over at Organifi. And what I absolutely love about them as a company is that their products are perfect for someone like me who has a busy schedule but really wants her nutrients on the go. It can be really hard to set that time aside to do the juicing or eat your greens. And that is why I've particularly fallen in love with their green juice powder. This powder has become something I just throw into my protein shake to make sure I'm getting my greens on. And oddly, I've gotten so into it that now I'm throwing it into my morning coffee with a nut milk, which somehow is making my coffee taste like a peppermint coffee. No idea how that happened. But truly, even if I had the time to juice vegetables or make massive salads, I don't always love that taste of the dark leafy greens. Their green juice powder is packed with superfoods like moringa, chlorella, mint, beetroot, matcha, wheatgrass, ashwagandha, turmeric, so much more. I always give myself a little pat on the back when I throw a scoop of their green juice powder into my day. So if you want to give their green juice powder a try, I can't recommend it enough. 
head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And make sure you use that U-Turn code at checkout for 20% off. And if you're weird like me and you throw some green juice powder into your coffee with your nut milk, please send me a DM on the gram and let me know what you think of my little concoction. All right, now let's get back to this week's episode. And is this the kind of thing where you be your own advocate? Because if there's anything I've learned about Western medicine, which I'm very much someone who straddles in between Eastern and Western methods, um, you know, like I I find that there's not a lot of doctors that would take interest in testing for this. So is there a situation, would you say that most people need to kind of be their own advocate and encourage their doctor to test them for this? Or what would that look like for someone right now who's listening? Well, sometimes you may need to uh, ditch your doctor altogether, depending on, you know, who your doctor is and what what type of uh, medicine that they're, you know, referencing. Because if your doctor is one of those doctors who's, you you know, just kind of like every giving you a pill for every symptom you have, that may not necessarily be the right way to go about it. Right. I mean, we want to solve the function of what's going on. For instance, like when you take Advil, it's not because you have an Advil deficiency, right? You take Advil because you have a headache, but that's just a means to suppress the headache. It doesn't actually solve the problem of why you're getting the headache, right? And so with a, with a mold doctor, when you're saying, when you're going to a doctor and you're saying, hey, look, I think that mold may be a problem. It may be, you know, certainly it's not helping the cause of what I'm going through. And they're telling you, you know, that they're not in agreement with that, or they just, you know, they don't even know how to test for it. You know, that may not be the doctor that would be able to help you in that exact situation. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe, uh, maybe they're, they have a good purpose for what you're seeing them for. But I think if if you're concerned about mold, I would honestly look for a mold literate doctor. I mean, it's, that's literally probably the best terminology I can come up with Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, that's, I think that's really a specialized thing because you're, you're really at that point trying to detoxify a fungus, yeah. you know, that's going on inside your body. I mean, it's definitely a specialty. Okay. And then this brings me to my question about symptoms, because we've talked a lot about what is mold, how does it grow? Where do you find it? Foods, environment. And now probably everybody's thinking, well, how do I know that maybe I have it? And, um, what, what got me to find out that I have Lyme, which for those of you who haven't heard me kind of go on about this. It can come from a tick bite. Um, My doctor says even a spider bite or a mosquito bite can carry Lyme. Uh, Obviously not all of them carry it. And it's a myth that you most likely get it on the East coast. There's plenty of bugs out here that have it. Um, And it's like a bacterial infection that lives in your blood and there's no cure for it. So really the game that I'm in is turning the lights off on the Lyme cells so that I don't get any symptoms. And that means making my immune system strong. And in order to make my immune system strong enough to always be fighting Lyme, because for the rest of my life, my immune system will be fighting something that maybe other people don't have in their blood. What's going to happen is that if I have things like mold or I don't eat well, it's almost like my immune system is already busy fighting one thing and it's not really equipped to fight more stuff. And so my healing framework is really removing the other things my immune system might be fighting and mold is very much so one of them. Um, and the way my doctor described it was she said that because I have Lyme or some people have Epstein-Barr, which is, you know, kind of like mono, you know, that virus, um, she described it like, because I have Lyme or a lot of people who had mono or kissed someone who had mono or got Epstein-Barr in some way or another, They show signs of mold, and you can correct me on this, with like brain fog, um, disorientation, headaches, versus my nurse at my doctor's office who does my IVs, he has asthma. And so the way he experiences mold is he gets kind of like allergy symptoms, like stuffy nose, runny nose. So it's almost like everybody's body, depending on what you're working with, is going to respond to mold different. Can you correct me on this and just tell us a little bit more about what are those signs for everyone? Well, first off, I want to drop a bond because you mentioned the word asthma. There's a study going on currently um, where they think, again, it's a study, but it, it is pretty crazy, that they think that exposure to mold at a young age is actually what causes asthma in the first place. Mm. And so 
you know, it, it makes, it makes sense for me. I was on an inhaler as a kid and they diagnosed me with asthma. And I know for a fact that I was in a moldy apartment as a child. And, um, it was interesting. As soon as I moved away from that apartment, I no longer had asthma, but, um, it can cause brain fog. As you mentioned, uh, it's probably one of the number one complaints I, I receive is brain fog, chronic fatigue, uh, skin rashes, itchy eyes, red eyes, uh, swollen eyes, bags under the eyes, things like that. Um, it also causes allergy like symptoms where you just, you know, for me, when I go into a hotel room, um, I can, I can tell instantly when it has aspergillus, uh, mainly because I start to get the same symptoms that I get when I'm around a cat. Cause I happen to be unfortunately allergic to cats. Mm. And, um, I start my, literally my face starts swelling up. I start getting very itchy, like in the neck and, you know, right around my chin area, uh, puffy, swollen red eyes. And I'm like sneezing nonstop. So that's when I know it usually happens within a few minutes. And that's when I know I have to immediately switch hotel rooms. What happens is the aspergillus typically gets in the HVAC system inside the room and it starts to accumulate there. And at that point, I just, I can't even handle it. Mm. Okay. And by the way, for everybody listening, aspergillus is one of the many types of mold. Is that one of the more primary ones you see people get? And can you kind of break down just a basic understanding of them? Yeah. Yeah. So aspergillus is an allergenic species of mold. Um, it's very, very common to have in your house. And so I personally think when people talk about allergies, when it's, and it's not pollen season, um, that they, they may be experiencing asper- high levels of aspergillus in their home. Cause it's, it's one of the most common, uh, species present inside of a home. And it, it does give you those allergy like symptoms that we all know and hear about. Um, I, I, I see it a lot. I mean, a lot. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of spores present inside people's homes, circulating around their house. So I think um, with allergies, and I, I have this article coming out on Mind Body Green. Allergies really is the result of uh, unknown substances entering our body and producing an adverse health reaction. Right. That's that's really what allergies means. And mold can be those particles. It could be pet dander, uh, pollen. Um, you know, dust, right? All of these things can enter the body and cause adverse health reactions. Uh, but mold is typically one of those things that is present inside the air at high volume uh, when you have, you know, um, water damage. Mm-hmm. It's one of the it's one of the things that people overlook because we just never really been educated on that. And so usually when people say they have allergies, I always ask them like, "Well, did you just change over from cooling season to heating season? Did you just change from heating season to cooling season?" Because as you start to change the systems, you're going to have air passing through different areas of the HVAC system and, and circulating around, you know, potentially mold. So I always ask that question, uh, you know, people opening up their windows a lot during pollen season, obviously that can happen too. But, you know, mold, we got to remember mold entering the body actually does, part, does enter as particles. And uh, the average person takes 20,000 breaths per day. So, you know, it's interesting because we don't hear much about mold or other particulate matter for that instance. And it's, it's interesting because you would think we consume more air than anything else, but why is it, why do we never look there when we're looking to optimize our health? Mm. So interesting. Okay. So I, I mean, as far as healing goes, there's many different reasons somebody could have brain fog, right? Like I had brain sure. fog not just because of my diet. And, you know, I I write about gut healing to my email list, but, uh, and those of you who aren't on that, you really have to join the party. I've been going crazy on Mondays, writing so much content for everybody about the future of work and how to upgrade your wellness. And um, I know one area that explains my brain fog was simply my diet and having a leaky gut, which anybody who thinks they have brain fog, you can Google leaky gut. Um, How do you I mean, I guess there's really no way to come down to the conclusion of like, this is because of mold. And so I'm guessing diet and getting, you know, checked for mold and maybe even getting a test like what I got for Lyme disease, because Lyme can cause brain fog. Like, would you say, why is it that so many of these different problems cause brain fog? Well, you mentioned the word gut, right? And I think that having, you know, having mold exposure definitely messes up the microbiome of the gut. And I think that that could be one of the reasons why so many different things can produce the same result. 
Uh, it, it may mold is very tricky because it's so much like other things, right? I mean, think about it. You start getting, uh, you start feeling sick. I mean, these days, anyone starts feeling sick, they immediately think, oh, it's COVID, right? So you could, you could have mold exposure, think it's COVID. You could have mold exposure, think it's just allergies, right? What are allergies? We kind of went over that. Could be mold, sure. But it's, we've never really been programmed as a society to think that mold is a problem. And so we've never really looked there. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm trying to ring the bell and say, look, guys, uh, this is very simple. I mean, we, we do not look at air quality ever as a problem when it's the number one thing that could impact our bodies by, you know, just taking 20,000 breaths per day. So it's always been mind blowing to me, but I, I have this really amazing trick that I think, uh, will give everybody a good visual. You'll probably pause when I'm done with this, but if you go over to your toilet tank and you pop the lid off and you flip it over, if you see mold growing on the underside of that toilet lid or inside the toilet tank, that's usually a sign that there is mold somewhere in your place that's outputting at a high concentration. And again, that opportunity for it to just happen to pass into that toilet tank and start growing on that lid or inside the toilet tank, usually indicative that there's something else going on somewhere else. Mm, mm, Okay. And the mold in the toilet just looks like that, like blackish, like around the ring. Yes. Okay. So helpful. And um, for anybody who is wanting to kind of explore a healing path for mold, and I'm in that right now, I'm curious, like what would be your take? Let's say they go to the doctor, they're getting all these opinions. They're trying to kind of make the best plan for themselves. Um, what are some ways that you think have been really incredible for, or what's, what are some solutions that you think are really incredible for healing? So I think, you know, removing yourself from, from an exposed environment is, is, is very crucial. I, I talk to clients all the time who is like, just, even if you can't afford to do all the remediation at once, I mean, just removing yourself from the environment. I mean, I have clients that'll stay with family or friends. Um, and just after a couple of weeks, we'll get that call. Like, Hey, I start, I'm starting to feel better now that I'm out of the environment. And it kind of validates that whole process of like, all right, you know what I've realized I either need to a remediate or B move in order to put myself in a healing environment, right. Where I know that it's, I'm not going to be impacted by my own air quality. So that's, that's, that's an important thing too. the, the, I think, you know, we filter our water. So I think filtering our air is probably a good idea. Um, there's air purification systems that you can get. I like the ones that tie right into the HVAC equipment. My favorite is Healthway Super V just because it, it goes down to seven nanometers in particle size that it filters out, which is very tiny. And, um, it's actually roughly about the size of a virus. So it's amazing because it filters that small and, um, it filters the air that's circulating through the HVAC system, which is kind of like the lungs of the home. So if you, if you're trapping all the particles there, that's, you know, that the air being recirculated around your house or your apartment is thereafter clean. If you don't own the, if you know, it's something that you would install into the unit though. So if you don't own the unit, you happen to be renting, I would say, get a, get a couple of those like room air purifiers. Mm -hmm. Again, that just kind of helps purify the air, especially putting one in your bedroom is a good idea. Um, I would, I would always get two though. Don't just put one in your bedroom because then it'll kind of create negative pressure inside your bedroom, mm-hmm. drawing all this air towards your bedroom. Mm-hmm. And if you do have mold inside of your, your unit, unfortunately, you don't want that. You don't want the, all that air that could have mold in it to be pulled towards your bedroom. So if you put one in your bedroom and then one outside the bedroom, like maybe in the living room or somewhere across, it'll counterbalance that. So you're not getting that negative pressure putting right into your bedroom. But filtering the air is awesome because it's, it's going to give you that, uh, yeah, cleaner air. And not to say that if you have mold, you should just air purify everywhere. Uh, you know, it's kind of putting a bandaid on it. You'd want to fix the problem and then purify the air. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, it sounds like when you remove yourself from mold, like people start to feel better pretty immediately. And, I think it's kind of, you know, mind blowing how much we don't even notice how bad we feel. Like, um, so what questions would you ask someone to tune into 
right now in order to see if they perhaps should look into this issue in their home? Well, I think the best way to look at it is um, there's a couple different things. One, if you can pinpoint when you started not feeling well, you know, for some of us who may be listening, maybe you, you can't even tell you've been feeling not well for so long. But if you can pinpoint perhaps where you started to feel not so well, and if you look at it and say, was there a water damage event of my place at some point around that time or, or two, did I move into a brand new place, someplace that is new to me uh, somewhere around that time? That could be a really good, helpful sign. A good, a good idea of how to know if you've had some water damage event is you'll, if you look at your walls or ceilings, especially inside closets or things you don't really go to often, and you notice they almost look like these like coffee ring stains. They're, they're usually these brown um, stains that kind of show where the path of water traveled. If you, if you notice that, and maybe you haven't noticed it before, and um, that's right around the time you started not feeling well, it's a good, that could be a good indicator that, Hey, there, there could be some mold present. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, if, if you start to pinpoint when you're not feeling well around some of those things, I think that's probably a really good indicator that it could potentially be mold since you have a new environment and that new environment could be physically moving to a new place or having a water damage event will change the, the actual environment. Um, and it could go from a healthy space to an unhealthy space pretty quickly in that regard, especially considering if you don't have one of those air purification systems on your HVAC, if you have even the smallest water damage event across on one section of the house, that mold growing in there can produce those spores that that get into the HVAC system. And because the HVAC system constantly condensates, that's an environment where those spores can now start to grow and kind of turn that HVAC system into a mold factory of its own. And so it's, yeah, it, it, it can spread that quickly. So you got to, you know, think about that in terms of, hey, could something, even if you thought in your head it was small, oh, I just had that one small leak from my bathtub. That one small leak can become a much bigger problem if it was left un, unfixed properly, right? So even small little things like that, that can be, they should be thought of in terms of, you know, could that have been a problem that has affected my health? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's, that's probably a good place to, to think about and start. But I think anything, honestly, if you just don't feel well and you've tried everything else, you've been to doctor after doctor and you just can't pinpoint it. Air quality is, is a good place to look. I mean, I think it should be the first place that we look every time because of how much it impacts our body. Okay. Well, I am so happy to have had you on. And I'm wondering, is there anything I didn't ask you that perhaps I should have asked you that would have been helpful for everybody to know that maybe I'm forgetting? Hmm. Is there something else you should have asked me? You know, I think um, people should understand that not all remediation is the same either. You know, for instance, um, I was talking to a client earlier who, uh, she was in, she's in Texas. I don't know if you, if you've heard of that winter storm that just happened uh, a couple weeks ago. And she, unfortunately, what she thought was like a small leak in her kitchen, um, ended up finding a much larger problem. And her insurance company sent out this, you know, their preferred remediation contractor, which is like one of those big national companies. And what they did was they cut open everything without really engineering controls. And they had these fans kind of blowing air on the area to dry it out. Mm-hmm. But inadvertently that air that, sh- that was put on the area to dry it out also was circulating all of those spores mm-hmm. that then got released throughout the process. So you got to be careful um, especially, you know, with, with companies that get recommended by insurance companies are typically not mold experts they are typically, you know, really more water damage and water drying uh, professionals. Mm-hmm. And they can kind of, even though they're licensed to do mold, they sometimes screw things up. So I think it's, you want to be really careful and make sure, um, you know, you, you vet people. I actually, if you go on allamericanrestoration.com, I give a f- some free resources out there. And one of those things is kind of like a questionnaire of what you should ask your remediation company to kind of vet them. Um, I think that's, it's, it's, it's perfect for this scenario because you really want to make sure you, A, you hire a good inspector, but then B, you hire a good remediator because 
they are, they, they can really, if they screw things up, it really puts you in a bad spot. Mm, very, very helpful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm guessing that website is also where everybody can find you. Is there anywhere else that people can learn from you? Yes. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm active there at the mold medic. Perfect. Well, thank you again. You're very, very welcome. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.